Welcome to the CDC Podcast Minisode 7, a special Halloween edition where we will be focusing on quote-unquote horror games. As usual, these are games that haven't gotten what myself and a co-host feel is a fair shake in criticism and attention. We will bring three such games each to the table. That could be anything. Itch.io games, indie games, or even AAA games that you may not have tried. With me for this theme month is fellow cohort of Pop Matters Game Section and indie horror guru, Nick DiNicola. I, I really like that indie horror game guru label. I'm going <laughs> to take that and run with it. <laughs> it's surprisingly hard to find someone who or who's willing to talk about horror games they haven't been already talked to death. I thought that would be like a lot up a lot more people's alleys than it apparently was. Yeah, it I'm kinda of surprised too. And maybe it's just because like horror games seem to be like a de facto thing on YouTube. Like when I was looking for games, I do a indie horror month series of posts every October on Pop Matters. And a lot of like where I go to try to find games is like YouTube. And just oh, what's a random game that this YouTuber is playing and I've never heard of? And then I'll watch him play it for a bit, and if it seems like it's worth checking out, I'll try to track it down and play it. So, hmm. I wonder also if there's like a communal element, because the horror games that do get a lot of attention, both big and small, get a lot of attention, almost disproportionately all of the attention, your amnesias, your alien isolations. Yeah, five Nights at Freddy's. I yeah, I wonder if there's a communal element to it. Probably. I mean, horror is kind of fun to talk about, and that, that's why I was happy to come on here, because you want to talk about what scares you and why it scares you and the games that do it really well that kind of surprise you when they do it really well, because I feel like it's also a really tricky thing to do well. I've played a lot of bad horror games trying to find the good ones. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty much how it goes. Let's get this ball rolling. I'll go first with my first pick. And just for the listeners out there who may be paying attention, I am cheating this month because horror is not a genre I normally go very deep into, as apparently many don't. But, so I'm pulling from things I've already done podcasts on elsewhere. And my first one, which I'm actually glad to note, is, is getting a revamp and a full Steam release coming from it's presently on Early Access. It's called The Cursed Forest. Uh, we I played this last year, and it scared the ever-loving crap out of me. And it's it starts off where your character, who's Ill, there's a lot of stuff that's ill-defined, or at least in the version I played. Apparently, the new version is getting all the other story nodes and ju- juices injected into it. But the person, the form I played has you're on your way to see your grandmother. You you take a shortcut through the cursed forest. And you end up in a car wreck. You end up off the road. Next thing you know, you wake up, you're in the middle of the forest, you have no idea how you got there, and you're just sort of following vague signs or feelings to not being completely destroyed by this monster that is hunting you. And the monster is basically made of pure shadow. It's this like eight-foot-tall thing with very long arms, almost like knives for fingers and and two sets of blue glowing eyes. It's actually kind of terrifying, especially since you don't see it. But the best part of this is it it feels open world, although you're prevented from going down certain paths in the forest until you've completed certain objectives, picking up 
bones to reform this corpse that was unfairly of this person who was unfairly executed. So yeah, it's pretty much you're going in order, but you're always returning to this hub before you can go down the next pathway to to progress the game. It's that it breaks its own rules almost at every point. Whenever it teaches you something about how the world works, the next section of the game pretty much will break those rules and you'll have to relearn how the world works. And while there are a few basic functions that remain the same, at some points you have to figure out what's below a bucket. At other times, that's instant death. Sometimes you have to run towards a monster, run away from the monster, turn around and run. Other times you have to look at the monster. You have to lock yourself behind doors. Other times you can't do that or you'll get killed. It breaks its own rules, and it is absolutely frightening in almost every respect. It's also the version I played is about an hour and a half long, so it doesn't outstay its welcome. That's probably the best thing I can say about a horror game is that when it isn't long, because once you get used to it, it loses the appeal that makes a horror game frightening. And The Curse of Horrors never stopped being frightening, even to the very end. And I think that itself is a major achievement. And now that it's getting a revamp where they're actually putting notes and a more fleshed out story than the basic premise and I'm not sure how I feel about that because the version I played is this very tonal piece that it's almost everything is inferred, even if you don't understand it, like the details or any specific mythology, that almost makes it even, well, not, I was about to say worse, but that's, that's kind of a good thing with horror games. Well, it's like the, the real success of that game was the level design and the pacing and, like you said, the way it would introduce a concept, and then break it in order to freak you out. And the set piece, and the certain set pieces that it does. Yeah. Although set piece probably has a bad moniker in video games because you're thinking huge and bombastic rather than just individualistic. Like, it happens once, it doesn't happen again sort of definition. Mm -hmm. But I think another part of it is that According to the thing, he, the guy who made it, it's like, greetings from Siberia. And it's like, okay, instantly this is coming from a different part of the world. It's going to have a very different notion of, like, background and how to craft horror, which, again, if you're from the West and you're looking and the idea of horror is something that is unknown and defies expectations, it already has a boost up in scaring you. Yeah. I do feel like in how it works, there is something worth like picking apart because it's just excellently crafted. And apparently they're making it even better with the newest version of the cry engine and doing more with it. So if they feel they can do more with it, that's great. Yeah. I'm kind of with you. Like I'm hesitant about them adding, adding too much story, but if their improvement of the story is just like fixing the translations that are in the beginning and end, that's kind of all you really need. Well, they sorry, they are, they're adding notes. Okay. You know, hmm. the, the ever the ever present not not audio audio file. Yeah. Uh, log audio log thing. Those seem like they could be fine because they don't really interrupt the flow of the the design, the level design that made the game so good. I feel it's like an adding or detailing of a mythology. Yeah. Or at least that's what I'm picking apart. I'm no idea. I haven't I haven't tried the early access version. So. Let's move on to your first game. So my first game, I'm also going to cheat and talk about at least for two of the games uh, that I've written about before. 
But this one I haven't written about. It's called Uncanny Valley, and it's on Steam. It's a 2D pixelated side-scroller kind of adventure game. Uh, you play has this guy, I forget his name, but you take a job as the night security guard at this not abandoned facility, but this shutdown facility. Because it's not abandoned and creaky and rotting like a lot of settings are in a horror game. It's just this facility that got shut down because the project that all the people were working on got shut down. So each night you do your rounds, explore the building, and you can actually turn on the computers and read emails that people sent in order to figure out what these guys were working on. And what makes the game really interesting is the structure of it. Uh, it's a lot like The Last Express in that there's a set time frame for certain events. Like the whole game takes place over, I think, seven nights. And certain events will happen each night, no matter what. And you just have to choose your way around it. Like, do you spend the nights reading emails, or do you spend the nights finding keys in order to get into other places in the facility? So one playthrough is not actually going to reveal that much information. It's a game that has to be replayed over and over again, doing different things each time before you actually figure out the whole story of what happened here. The reason that I didn't write about it is that I found the controls kind of frustrating. At one point, I died because I couldn't figure out how to shoot a gun. Like, I actually took the gun out, and then I kept reloading whenever I tried to shoot. And I got... Sounds like a lot of horror protagonists. (laughs) Yeah, but this one, it wasn't fun. But what I like about the game is in the way that it's perfectly happy to keep you in the dark. And it's perfectly happy to not explain itself to you. The first time I played it, it ended in a really, really brutal way for me. And it ended in that brutal fashion with me having solved nothing. And it felt like playing a horror game has the victim. Not has the hero, not has the final girl, not has the person who would solve everything, but has just one of the many people who will be killed by you know, the serial killer, the the monster, the, the Freddy and Jason and all that. Like, I was just some poor guy who stumbled upon a mysterious facility and just got consumed by the horror that went on here. Like, I wasn't a hero. I wasn't a protagonist. I wasn't anything special. And I think there's really something to be said about a horror game that can make you feel like you are not the protagonist of a story that actually makes you feel the hopelessness of the victims that are really just so common in horror games, especially like slasher flicks, the people that just kind of get churned out, uh, the people who are meant to die. It's easy to kind of dismiss them and not feel for them, but that also goes down like a dark path of like, I don't, I don't like the people who cheer at horror movies when someone dies because I always feel bad for the people that the just get churned through, you know, by the serial killers. So, I like any horror game that can put me in the shoes of that random unfortunate soul. And I think Uncanny Valley manages to strike a good balance between putting you in that role at first when you don't know anything and then slowly making you feel more and more like the protagonist and final girl and hero as you start learning more and are able to uncover the mystery. 
That's an interesting idea. I don't know how they execute it here because obviously I haven't played it, but since horror games are always about making you feel helpless, the fact that you're in someone else's story rather than the central, the universe revolves around me idea of the protagonist, that's a, another interesting way of feeling helpless. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Like, the world doesn't revolve around you. My next game is, given it came out earlier this year, complete anyway, there was a, last year they released the middle chapter of the three chapters part of this game, and I'm surprised it didn't get talked about as much as it did, or at least in full written form. I don't count Twitter at all, because I can't reference any of it. And that's the Charnel House trilogy. And again, last year I played the central chapter, which is called Sepulcher, and I actually was really taken by it. But by the uh, the very short story horror nature of it, the type this is the type of thing you'd find in like one of those fifties magazines on a horror, just a short prose story, and it would have a quick beginning, middle, and end, and that would be it. Something you'd find in an anthology, and the Charnel House trilogy kind of takes that con, and that's just the middle chapter where you're playing a separate character, where then the first and third chapter, I guess, expand on the mythology of this like ghost train. Of the, of this ghost, I, I'm, it's really hard to describe because then you just end up going into the mythology of it. Well, and and, and that's, that's something kind of neat about it. It's like this Lovecraftian thing where there's it feels like there's a larger power at B that's controlling everything. That's just a force that you don't know if it's for good or for evil, but it's a force that's infiltrated your life. And in somewhat a different stance to your slasher film game that you just did. This one is more, uh, it's more like centered on a single character. This is psychological horror. This is, you have a sync. This is like, I guess like the Babadook style of horror where you have one character and you have a problem. They have to do, you have a problem within themselves that is causing all these horrific things. In this case, it's a character who's going on a vacation to see a dig site, and her boy her boyfriend is missing. Her neighbor is a bit of a creep, and then this ghost train sort of teases out of her that maybe all of this is connected, and that there's some malicious, evil, horrific answer to it. And we don't know if that's true. It's presented as if it's true, but then you start to realize this is all in her head because the sepulchre chapter is all in the head of another character. Because apparently the end of the third chapter it says, okay, they're both gay, they're both okay, but now they're going on to an even bigger story, which is an interesting concept because I don't know if they're going to follow up on it. At the same time, we, we've actually theorized at Pop Matters that they could go a few interesting ways. One is leave it as is and leave the the unknown is the future. You don't get any explanation. You don't get any insight into where it could go or what could happen. Two is the normal sequel where you just end up following a new, you're in a new location following an expanded mythology and more ideas of where this could go. And the third one is because Sepulcher was released first as the middle throne, then the charnel house trilogy came and you got two, you got bookends we were thinking, well, what if they continued the bookends idea and just kept expanding with prequels and sequels to try and further fill out the mythology? Because that's something I really like that I'm seeing a tiny bit more of is the anthologized style of horror, where because horror, again, it doesn't last long. It needs short bursts. And the Charnel House trilogy has three 
instead of being one long point-and-click adventure game where you can't proceed until you get through the entire sequence and then you get to go to the next one and then because it's a video game they decide okay now you can tackle these next four sections in any order and you can't progress until you figure out all these often not relevant puzzles that somehow get in the way of the pacing here it's compartmentalized so that it's more like you're acting out in a play the sequence in a play rather than having to figure out where you are working in this world and that compartmentalization helps keep a very claustrophobic feel a very tight focus and it allows greater focus on the things going on and all the all the horror going on I mean, you're in the middle of a train and then suddenly there's a birthday party from last year going on in one of the compartments you just unlocked by ripping a painting off the wall to get a key hidden behind it and none of the people there have any aren't really listening to what you're saying and then people who are dead show up, and then they all disappear when you turn around. It, it's the general psychological thing going on. And it got a lot of attention, but not a lot of focus, I guess. I don't know if it came out the wrong type of year for horror games or what. Ah, oh, this is... I'm terrible explaining things like this. <laughs> Every time I come up with a point-and-click adventure game, I realize, why do I bother trying to explain these things? Well, I remember I really liked it for... The tone that it set, like you described, it it has a good tone that starts off kind of spooky and kind of ghost story-like before it slowly expands in scope to become more surreal and more – there's a, an interesting combination of like real-world horror where you're confronting – theoretically, you're confronting this neighbor who has been stalking you. Uh, for a while, and you're confronting him, uh, and it, you know it's the whole this very grounded real life horror of this woman confronting a stalker who's genuinely dangerous. Except it's not really the stalker; it's like a manifestation of that stalker by this Lovecraftian entity that controls this ghost train. Whereas back in the real world, that stalker has basically cut off the arms and legs of her boyfriend and is keeping the torso alive in his apartment maybe i thought that was a given well it's again it's like okay this is what it's going on in her head it could be real as a manifestation or it could just be the lovecrafting horse screwing with her head true I, I i like that ambiguity and we didn't get the answer because again the game begins after when we could have gotten an answer and ends before we can get confirmation but i i really love that that contrast of different types of horror where you have this very grounded real life fear that is put into the context of this much larger evil and it's not that the the stalker becomes a victim but that his evil somehow feels lesser or more like a part of a grander plan and it's interesting seeing sort of these like men playing around while gods watch and it's a strange feeling but it's i like that and that's why i kind of hope that they don't continue the story has an option because i really like the mystery of that feeling of just not knowing what exactly was going on so your second game so my second game i am going to jump way back in time to a game that i 
just remembered as I was looking for games to talk about on this podcast because your next one you stole from me. Uh, <laughs> and I think this game was really underrated and kind of ignored because of its franchise and because of the console it came out on. And I'm talking about Dead Space Extraction for the Wii. And this one, talk, uh, just adding on top of the reasons people dismissed it, is a, a rail shooter set in the Dead Space universe. So there's a lot working against it. But even with all that, I think this managed to be one of the best horror games I played that year. And definitely one of the best horror games on the Wii, or one of the best games on the Wii. And what really makes it is the direction. Because this is a rail shooter, the developers have complete control of the camera. And they use that to a really, really great effect. Uh, I have this really vivid memory of sneaking through these air ducts. And every now and then, I'd have to shake the the Wiimote to light a, a glow stick and hold it out in front of me. And as I was moving, I held the control stick on one of the Wii dongles forward because I wanted to keep moving forward. And it wasn't until I got to the end of this air duct that I let go of the control stick and my character kept moving for a bit. And I realized, oh, wait, I'm not actually in control of him. Like the camera does such a good job mimicking natural human movement that you forget you're not in control. It does this really nice thing of whenever you get to a corner, it will slide up to the corner and then peek around it before fully moving around it. And whenever you get to a doorway, it'll kind of back off and slowly look inside. So it does the things that you want to do, and it moves the way you want to in a way that that just really sucks you into the experience. And because it's so so strongly guided – they have a real strong control of pacing, so they know exactly when to drop in a few monsters for you to shoot, and then when to just go full-blown chaos on you. And it's really well-paced. The direction is really impressive. It's like a standard horror story. You know, it's a Dead Space story. Monsters take over some facility, and you have to protect a group of survivors that are trying to find your way out. But it's all in the execution, and I remember feeling like this is kind of the quintessential interactive movie. We talk about um, Telltale and other type of games as being interactive novels or interactive stories. Or sometimes like David Cage's games like Heavy Rain or Beyond Two Souls has being interactive movies. But this is the only time where that really felt appropriate because so much of it was based on direction. And I was very much just an actor inhabiting a role that already existed. All my movements were pre-planned. I was going off and interacting with it based on a script. All I could do was shoot the monsters in a certain way, but it's just the execution of it and the fact that the combat is really fun and really well implemented, especially with the way you still have to like decapitate, not decapitate, uh, dismember the monsters as they come at you. And using the Wiimote for that adds a nice, real uh, vermicillitude to all that combat. So there's a lot of things that the game just did right. It had so much working against it, and then the fact that it executed on everything that it could so perfectly. I feel like that is one of the most underrated horror games in the last generation. 
Yeah, I kind of dismissed it for exactly those reasons. <laughs> well, more because I don't have a Wii, so it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my third game is one that I just released a podcast about on Pop Matters, and it's called The Music Machine. Unlike The Cursed Forest, this one isn't, like, balls-to-the-wall terror-inducing, nor is it the long psychological in-depth dive that of the Charnel House trilogy tries to be. The Music Machine is, again, another one of those short story-type efforts that's in game form. And again, we have Lovecraftian unknowable horrors that are doing things to humanity that we sort of get a glimpse of but don't fully understand why everything is happening. And Nick will tell me that apparently this is a game that is part of another anthology by the creator. What is his How do you pronounce his name again? David Szymanski. David Szymanski, where it's apparently interconnected with games like the Moon Sliver, and he's newly released, what was it called? Well, the Wolf? A Wolf in Autumn. I don't know if it's wolf. related to that one, but I expect uh, that it will. And what you have is a possessed, she just turned a, a teenager, or is she still a preteen? She's a teenager. She, okay. Yeah, she's 13. Yeah. Uh, a 13-year-old girl possessed by the ghost of a 34-year-old man that who has control of her body and is threatening to kill her, though the girl herself doesn't seem too concerned about it or doesn't quite believe him because there have been so many opportunities since he's in control of her body. She just point blankly asks him, why don't you throw my body in front of a bus? Why don't you make, force me to eat these rusty nails? And he says, no, that's not good enough. For what you did, that's not good enough. And you get sort of this... A sort of buddy cop relationship as he went to this island where there used to be a summer Bible camp to figure out where these bodies with these holes appeared in because he's looking for a way to gain his get his revenge from beyond the grave on what on this girl who got him killed and through that we find a special device that can send you to alternate dimensions created by these force creatures known as the Spindlemen. And they're rather horrific, not because, in the true Lovecraftian way, not because they are malicious, malevolent things that want us dead, but because they are so big, so powerful, don't understand us, and are completely indifferent to us. Our suffering, our hopes, our dreams, everything, we are the ants beneath their shoes that they do not deign to notice. It isn't, that isn't horrifying, it's just, it's mostly unsettling. Up until the ver until the climax, when it actually does get frightening, but it's mostly unsettling how it presents this mindset of thing of creatures that just don't understand. And when they tr do try to understand, that's almost even more terrifying because they bring their eye to us. Until we get to the music, the titular music machine, which was their ultimate creation to try and figure out what we are, because they don't understand us. Our paintings to them are smudges. Our music to them is just noise like any other. That The music machine is their con concept of trying to understand what music is. And I don't want to say any more of that because it's worth figuring out of your own. It's got some wonderful visuals. It's got this two-toned monochromatic thing. Instead of black and white, it's black and another color. Orange, pink, green, depending on what area you've entered or what dimension you are in. Yeah, it really creates this different tonal vibe. It always keeps you on your toes. 
and it's short. Again, it's another one of these short games that doesn't outlive its welcome. It gets in what it needs to do and then leaves before it can start answering too many questions or is forced to answer too many questions or face the player's boredom and indifference. I'm going to cheat and like expand <laughs> upon that and recommend that you play all of David Szymanski's games. Like that's what I was I was going to cheat anyway and instead of just recommending the Moonsliver, recommend all his games. Because they're all very good, but more than that, they're all very thoughtful. They all have an idea that they want to express, and I think they do that very well. They're explorations of evil, of morality, of faith, and because of that, they really, really beg to be discussed. One of the things I loved about a podcast on The Music Machine is that I went into it thinking about The Music Machine has a very atheistic and humanist game based on how it presented these godly figures. But I came away thinking that it could be something very different. From a more religious point of view, it could actually be a very, very pro-faith, pro-Christian Catholic Catholicism morality to it. And that makes me look back on his other games. Like there's a nice sense of a tourship to his games because I played them all in very quick succession. And they all deal with similar themes, but in different ways. So there's a real fascinating exploration of David Szymanski himself through his games. Like, I feel like playing them, you, you get to know who he is because they are, they feel like very personal explorations of people and how we relate to faith and the morality that faith engenders in us and whether or not we should trust that. And then what makes that discussion so helpful is that discussing that with someone who knows more about religion or who is religious brings a very different point of view that I think helps when discussing games about that theme. And since all of his games are very strongly about that theme, they, they really demand to be picked apart and analyzed and discussed from various points of view. So those games... You want- you want to run down the title of those games? Yes. So you recommended The Music Machine. Correct. Um, although I'll recommend them in order of his release because that's probably the best order to play them in. You should start with Finger Bones, which is actually free on Steam. Then play The Moon Sliver, which is actually only $2 on Steam. Then The Music Machine, which is only like $4. And then his newest one, which actually came out maybe just prior to this recording, uh, called A Wolf in Autumn, which is also only $2. So, which, we have yet to, which we have yet to confirm if it actually is connected, but yeah. we're, we hope. At the very least, I think it will be a fascinating exploration of faith and morality in humanism and God and all that. All right. Well, I hope you have, if you're listening to this on Halloween, I oh, hope yeah. well, you I have... Oh, yeah, a third game. <laughs> Oh, I thought that was your third game, oh. cheater. I I cheat a lot. I cheated my way through high school and college and everything. I looked on everyone else's paper. So the other game, I'll be real quick about it because it's another game you wouldn't expect. It came out on Steam recently, but I think you should play it on iOS or Android. Basically a mobile device. It's called Dark Echo. And it's kind of a puzzle game, sort of maybe. The whole game is basically a dark screen with these little footprints in the center. And as you tap around the screen, 
your character will walk. And as you walk, you create these sound waves that emanate out from your feet and bounce off the walls around you. And that's how you learn the environment is through walking and creating noise to create sound waves that will then briefly highlight uh, the boundaries of the world around you. And you use that to kind of make your way through this maze. But the game then keeps adding on to that basic concept. The most specific and relevant addition is monsters who are attracted by sound. And so to avoid that, you have to tap lightly on the screen in order to sneak past them. And there's a real nice physicality to the touchscreen, which is what makes it so much better than using controller on PC, where the longer you hold your finger on the screen, the longer the step you'll take. So if you tap really fast, you'll take a lot of quick short steps. But if you hold a little longer, you'll take fewer long steps, and those actually make you move faster. So if you're trying to sneak past the monster, you have to decide whether you want to try to play it safe and take quick steps but move slower or risk taking too long of a step and making a noise to have the monster come after you, but you'll move faster. And then there are added elements where to get past some monsters, you have to make a noise and then sneak away quickly before the monster gets you because it's attracted only to where the noise are. And then it keeps adding things onto it where there will be water, which you can't sneak through. So the moment you step into it, you're going to attract anything to it. You can then start throwing rocks, or you can smash the ground in order to create a larger sound wave that highlights more of the environment around you. And what makes it really great on a phone is that the screen is small. Because so much of this game is about trying to navigate an environment that you can't see, trying to avoid enemies that you can't see, while avoiding obstacles that you can't see. And all of this makes it feel very claustrophobic. And so the added element of having a small screen real estate to work with just adds to that sense of claustrophobia. And you combine that with the physicality of actually having to touch the screen to take a step with hopefully you play with headphones because the sound is really important. Play it at night with the lights off in bed and it's a surprisingly tense, frightening experience that you wouldn't expect from a mobile game. I always like trying to highlight mobile games on here because to me it's a very difficult prospect as is. So mm-hmm. it's always nice when you get something like this. Yeah, I was I was really excited to stumble across it uh, one day. In fact, I'm I was look I'm looking at it right now on my phone. Oh yeah, it's ninety nine cents too. So get it now. Yeah, it has with most mobile games. It's fairly inexpensive. Well, now we do this for real. Are you sure? I could <laughs> talk about more games. Oh, I know you could. I know you could, but we're trying to keep these manageable. So thank you. If you're listening to this on Halloween, I'm sure you could find something better to do with your time. But thank you anyway for for listening. We hope you will take your time out to actually try, play, possibly even write about these games. Give, give them more attention out to the world. Spread the horror love, as it were. <laughs> You can find links to all the games discussed here, or the titles and links to them, rather, in the show notes of the podcast. With me has been Nick. Thank you for coming on at the last minute. Oh, happy to. And uh, if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Good God, please rate us on iTunes. And if you like all the work we do at Critical Distance, we have a Patreon 
Write in Patreon and Critical Distance into your Google and you will find it. Please think of supporting us. Happy Halloween, everybody. Ooh.